This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. Welcome to Kentucky Newsmakers, where we'll go in search of answers and some perspective this morning. The coronavirus pandemic has changed all of our lives for now and maybe in some ways forever. Historian Ron Bryant has agreed to join us on the phone. He'll give us some context about how Kentucky faced up to the Spanish flu of 1918 and some of the hard economic realities that have come along over the years. Also this morning, Greta Van Susteren on the federal response to COVID-19. But first, an expert that we have turned to for comfort and information during this coronavirus pandemic, Lexington Emergency Room Physician, Dr. Ryan Stanton. Our guest joining us remotely this weekend so that we can Observe social distancing, and in this case, so that Dr. Stanton can keep working on the front lines. So he's using a, a remote app, and we appreciate that very much, Dr. Stanton. Understand if you need to go. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell has said this week, our lives have been transformed in the blink of an eye. Uh, let's talk about this. Is this COVID-19 uh, pandemic playing out as was anticipated? I think it is playing out in some ways like we anticipated. I think we've seen, you know, with the growth in the cases worldwide, the death rates uh, that we're seeing in the United States here, we're seeing about a one and a half to 1.6 percent of the known cases. And I think that's an important message to drive home is that um, we are not doing a ton of testing in the U.S., so there's probably a lot more numbers out there we're just not seeing. Uh, but really, when he says this has changed things, it's no matter what happens with regard to the virus moving forward, this is going to permanently change lives, uh, not just because of the virus itself, but because of the economic impact, the disruption of, of businesses being closed, of people not uh, being able to go do the things they normally do, the schools being out, the sports being canceled. I mean, this truly is an unprecedented uh, type of thing that, of course, I don't think anybody has ever seen, um, and probably not something that has been seen uh, the likes of which uh, since probably World War II, where there was such a change on the home front because of the needs uh, for over overseas and we're even talking about some of those things here where automakers are talking about making ventilators and uh, other types of medical supplies I mean this is a huge shift and I think it's in a way it's it's of course very scary and worrisome for the country but also I think it's uh, something that hopefully will bring the country together and, and kind of tear down some of these partisan walls some of these things that have kind of pulled us apart over the last number of years to really understand what is po important which is the life and health that we take for granted on, on many occasions you know, you're, you're a great observer of people. I, I've noticed that in, in talking with you. Are you uh, impressed by what you have seen in terms of the teamwork in, in getting ready for uh, what we know uh, is happening and about to happen? It's been a great mix, and, and the things I'm seeing that have been a big mix are, one, the responses of, like, our governor, uh, and then, of course, with a public health official, including Dr. Stack. They have done an incredible job. I love the way they're communicating. The things that are a big concern for me that I'm not, that haven't been really happy with, has been the U.S. response in terms of personal protective equipment. I mean, we're changing rules uh, for exposure uh, for healthcare professionals because of the access to personal protective equipment, not 
because of uh, because of anything necessarily with the virus. We are approaching it quite differently now. In terms of the healthcare response, I've been very impressed with the physicians, the nurses, the PAs, nurse practitioners, other staff within the hospital, housekeeping within the hospital, everybody coming together to work as one. I mean, it really is impressive being back here at work, seeing how everybody's working together, common goal, kind of making sure that we're taking care of each other, uh, we're, that we're taking care of our patients, we're still doing the things we have to do on a daily basis. Uh, but seeing that response has been really impressive. Uh, but I do you know, hope that the United States can really crank up production uh, of the personal protective equipment. And most importantly, I want to see us uh, ex significantly expand our abilities to test people, uh, to set up these drive-through testing that, that people can do, you know, come up if they've got symptoms, get the swab done, you know, within a day or two, get those results back. And I think that is just around the corner. Uh, but at the same time, we need to make that available so we know really how much we're dealing with, how many people have this virus, and then really start to see what happens when we start to flatten out this curve and start to work through this, uh, work through this over the last uh, next couple of months. The great news is China's starting to crank stuff down even today. They're returning flights back to London, starting to get back to a normal life. So we kind of see how long theirs took place. And we're hoping with the er uh, early interventions that the United States and other countries have done that we can make that curve even faster. Yeah, well, sure, I'm going to ask, do we see uh, any light at the end of the tunnel? And, and are you encouraged by what you're seeing with those, uh, those numbers finally coming down in China? Yeah, definitely seeing, uh, very happy with what's going on with China, that they've got the numbers way down. And then countries that, that have a number of cases, but very few deaths, just a very low number. You have the stark contrast between places like Italy uh, and then other countries nearby that have very few deaths, but high numbers. And we want to mirror those types of numbers where we address this type of thing, test, uh, take the appropriate steps. And though we'll see the virus, we won't necessarily see the number of deaths. And, um, as we see these numbers in diagnosis in the United States, that number is slowly getting pushed down. We started near 4%, and right now, um, as of this morning, uh, calculated out about based on the uh, the advertised numbers that we have here in the United States, our death rate is 1.5%, and I think that number is going to continue to push down, but we still have to make sure uh, that everybody understands that this is a real risk, and 98.5% of people across the board right now are going to do, uh, do okay with this illness, but that 1.5%, somebody's got to be that and we don't know 100% who that's going to be. We do know some risk factors with age and other comorbidities, but it can be really at this point almost anybody um, can get the virus, of course, and the severe symptoms can happen. I mean, we've got a, a physician, emergency physician in Washington State right now that's in their 40s that's uh, on life support on, on uh, that's intubated and so it really can be anybody and we want to make sure that everybody understands these steps are uncomfortable but necessary to protect ourselves and our fellow Americans. Dr. Stanton, Governor Bashir, as we mentioned, acted very early to start to putting restrictions in place. Uh, those have tightened as the days have gone along. Schools, uh, colleges closed, basketball, other sports uh, mm -hmm. over for the season. The Derby postponed. Are we, you know, are we doing what uh, we can? Do you think? Uh, are the restrictions tight enough, and are people complying enough? 
I think we're in a pretty good place right now um, with the cancellation, social distancing. Look, we're not trying to wipe out completely interactions. We're th we, we see significant change with 50% decrease and 75% decrease. And they've put those graphs up multiple times during his updates. And I think they've done a good job at being on top of this. Uh, his response has actually garnered a fair amount of national attention on, uh, on, on calm leadership and updates and information. So I think it's well respected uh, around the country on how our governor has responded. And I think the closures and restrictions right now are a good thing. And hopefully by doing this and doing a lot of things up front, we can actually get back to more stuff earlier. I mean, sports are going to be pushed back, uh, but I hopefully get some of these businesses uh, back opened up, get more access to help these folks that are going to uh, have strains on their small businesses and on their restaurants and uh, employees. I mean, we're seeing a lot of folks that are hiring right now with uh, places like Amazon and, and, and Kroger's, uh, but we need to make sure we get as many people back to work as soon as possible, but that means we have to make this uh, sacrifice now. And what I'm seeing is, yes, for the most part, I think a lot of people are respecting it, but you're also seeing, such as this case of the person who was positive, who refused to quarantine and is now under guard, that other people are very selfish and are, are putting themselves in front of the health of the others and those around them. And I think that is haphazard, and we need to make sure that everybody out there is taking appropriate steps to protect themselves and others. Just Let's just do this for the spring. Right. And then once we get back, hopefully by uh, mid-spring, late spring, we'll get back to a, a more normal state of life. Uh, doctor, let's just remind folks, uh, best practices right now. Uh, what uh, precautions should we have in place uh, as individuals uh, in workplaces if people do have to be there? Uh, the most important thing is, of course, social distancing. That six feet is something that's been quoted quite often. Making sure that you wash your hands frequently. So washing your hands for 20 seconds with soap and water. Wet them first, add the soap, scrub your hands, and then thoroughly dry them. All of that process is very important. And then throughout the day in between hand washings, which do them as much as you can, um, using the hand sanitizers, to, if, especially if you have to touch something else, sterilizing your work area. Um, and that's exactly what I did when I came into the emergency department this morning is the first thing I did was cleaned all of my workspace, the computer keyboard, the phones, the, dic the, the dictation devices, uh, even, the, even the arms of the chairs where I'm sitting. You know, everybody needs to do that to kill those germs, wipe them out, to decrease that exposure risk, and then um, decreasing those uh, interactions. This is not a time to be shaking hands. This is time to wave. Uh, if you want to elbow bump, uh, even fist bumping, but shaking hands is the biggest transmission of germs and then trying to stay some social distancing from each other as much as possible. I know a lot of workplaces are taking a lot of steps to try to get people working from home. Of course, you guys there at the station have been uh, opposite sides of the, uh, of, of the studio and in other rooms and things to do that as well. And uh, even the opportunity here for me to be with you via an app as opposed to being in person, those are all the things that you can do within your workplace. How can we separate a little bit more and decrease that risk of spread between one person to the other? Because in many cases, people don't know if they have this infection or not. Well, we quickly learned how innovative uh, we can all be and uh, the changes that we've had to make. Uh, but as people, uh, you know, are isolated in their homes and uh, they're, they're worried about the virus, they find themselves worried about uh, their loved ones that, who may be in higher risk categories, their own finances going forward. Uh, how would you encourage people to cope with uh, anxiety associated with that? I know sometimes people come into the emergency room and it is just that that they're facing. 
Yeah, it's a, this is a big thing. It's we're going to have a lot of stress right now. We're in the end of in, we're getting towards the end of winter, so everybody's kind of got that seasonal affective type uh, issues right now. But then you throw this on top of it, there's a lot of anxiety, probably a fair amount of depression that's being involved. So the big thing is to spend quality time with that core family you have in the house, communicating via electronic devices with other family, especially your parents, uh, if your parents are around, or if you're a, uh, elderly with your children or, or other family members via uh, the Skype and FaceTime and things like that. Also doing things for your own wellness, a good diet, regular sleep patterns, going for a walk like yesterday, um, you know, in our little gaps between rain that we seem to have this time of year, uh, taking my kids for a, a bike ride, uh, you know, just to get out and, and try to get some normalcy because we can't go to a lot of different places, movies, things like that. But what we can do are some uh, times that we probably needed to get back to doing anyway, which is just a good walk, spending time with family, whether it's uh, electronically or not within the home, and just make sure you still have those connections. We're just having to do those connections a little bit differently. So uh, for once, you know, the millennials, though we, we tend as uh, middle-aged folks to uh, poke at the millennials, they may be onto something with the way they're electronically communicating, and we may need to learn something at this point. Maybe they were well equipped to deal uh, with this, uh, maybe uh, more so. I'll, all right, uh, very quickly, uh, Doctor, and I want to get you back well to your, your important work, right? Uh, vaccine, uh, is it on the horizon? Will that be some time away? You know, we're all used to uh, where well, you can just take a shot and it won't happen. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, probably at least late 2020 before we see any significant uh, access to it. And actually, I think, I think even if we push it through quickly, we're probably going to still be 2021. And then, of course, it's going to be targeted for our higher risk populations, being the elderly, those in nursing homes, and then kind of trickle down uh, from there. So for, mo for most of us in terms of the population, I wouldn't expect anything until at least 2021. Um, I know we've got trials going on right now, some, uh, some human testing for the efficacy and the safety of the vaccine that are already taking place so it will be pushed through uh, pretty quickly but we also want to make sure one is going to work and two is going to be safe otherwise and so uh, we want them to take those special those important steps then the production then getting it out to the highest risk populations and then stepping down from there so don't count on that at least until probably uh, getting towards the end of our next flu season uh, the end of 2020 uh, 20 to 21. Uh, you know, I, I know this question is a lot to put on uh, on one guy, even a very experienced uh, emergency room uh, physician, but uh, everybody just wants to know when will we possibly return to some sense of normal? And, uh, you know, the government has indicated that they have plans for this uh, potentially to go on for a long, long time. Hopefully that's worst case scenario uh, from a, a planning standpoint. But uh, mm -hmm. can you give us, uh, you know, some sense of where you think it may be to where uh, there'll be some light that we can, uh, that we can see out there? I think we're going to see some uh, some return probably getting into May into June, especially if we can get those numbers to flatten out. And then remember, once we start to pull back those restrictions, we'll probably see the numbers tick back up just a little bit as we start to get those connections. But I think we're talking about May, uh, at least May, if not June, for a lot of uh, activities. And then a lot of the sports are going to be off until probably getting into late summer into fall. Um, 
So I think it's going to be at least a couple of months. Uh, hopefully the, the really strict restrictions that we're seeing right now, we can ease off within a month or so. But really you have to have that separation. This has got about a 14 day incubation period in some cases. And so we have to have that separation enough. We shouldn't even expect to see decreases in numbers for about another week because we've really only been uh, with a lot of these restrictions for about a week now. And so we're only about a week until we start to see the, the benefits start to happen. And that's when we're gonna start to seeing that flattening of the curve and if we can make that last and then hopefully the warmer weather will have a positive impact on this for us uh, we'll start to see that so I would expect uh, mid to late spring for most of us before we can expect uh, to get somewhat back to yeah. normal activities. Dr. Stanton before we uh, let you go right back to work just quickly is there uh, is there anything else uh, you would like to say as a professional or a uh, a citizen of this commonwealth or just a one who is observing and as we all are living this history right now. Yeah, in a country where the individual has been pushed up so high, this is a point where we need to actually live and make our decisions uh, for the uh, for for us in this uh, in this state, the Commonwealth. We need to make decisions for the common good uh, of our friends, our family, our neighbors. Uh, making these small sacrifices, and, and really, I want to stress these are inconveniences right now, with the exception of some folks who uh, may have significant impact on their livelihoods, which is very is which is bad. But what we're talking about is life and health and safety and by making these decisions and doing these things right now we may save hundreds if not thousands uh, of other Americans that can spend more time with us and be healthier because of these decisions so a couple of months of, of these harder times for us um, which are relatively not that bad compared to uh, things that have happened in history this is something that can make a significant impact in our future uh, moving forward and so hopefully we can all work together this is a great time for us to support each other to help each other don't forget about donating to uh, charities and the groups and help people out especially the elderly that may be uh, having a little bit more difficult time getting things so those are the big things we need to do as we move forward dr. Stanton thank you so much we really do appreciate you dr. Ryan Stanton there joining us from the emergency room this morning all right stay with us for historical perspective from longtime Kentucky historian Ron Bryant again as we live history Kentucky newsmakers will be right back And welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We have enjoyed talking with historian Ron Bryant over the years on a variety of topics. And this morning we turned to him to help us look back, but also to understand the history that we're all living through right now. Ron, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Give us some perspective. I mean, this is a time uh, that we will all remember. Uh, do situations like this uh, tend to transform uh, the world? Uh, yes, uh, some of these pandemics have completely changed the world order, and uh, of course we think of the most, probably the most familiar one to us would be the Black Death of the 14th century, which totally uh, changed the uh, makeup of Europe, and probably even expedited the discovery of America, to be honest with you. You're talking about the plague, right? The plague, the Black Death. It was the bubonic plague, and that was actually probably one of the worst that ever hit the world. And between 1346 and 1353, anywhere from 75 to 200 million people died. 
and literally a third of the population of Europe was destroyed. Wow. Looking back, the, the Spanish flu epidemic uh, in Kentucky was really deadly. Uh, how did the state respond at that time, back in uh, 1918? Yes, in 1918, of course, one of the worst of the modern uh, pandemics broke out, the so-called Spanish flu. Kentucky was like most of the, of the United States at that time. We didn't have uh, any great knowledge of what was going on, and nobody knew what to do with it when it first hit us. But to give you an idea of how bad that was, just within a short period of time, we're talking 1918 to 1920, over 14,000 Kentuckians died wow. of that. And then uh, and in the United States, some 675,000 people died, and worldwide, anywhere from a 50 to 100 million, and we'll never know the number for sure. And, and we have seen that uh, it, it was prudent uh, to act fast in some of the oh, areas that, that did take precautions. Uh, uh, yes. Their situation wasn't as bad as it was in those who delayed. No, no. In places, especially in places where the population wasn't so dense, the uh, the uh, outbreak did not do as much damage. And in the 1918-20 pandemic, the Spanish flu, that was such a strange strain of flu that it killed young, healthy adults and left old and young relatively alone. Wow. And and so that was one of the scariest things about that. And in some cases, Bill, you could take, you could have the symptoms of the, and then die within 12 hours. Hmm. Do you think Kentuckians have been uh, surprised by the extraordinary power that state government uh, has, that the that the governor had uh, in this uh, situation to uh, I, to make closures I, yeah. and procedural changes? I think it shocked everybody because, and, but it was the wise thing to do, if. You don't act quickly in these things. It spreads, and it just spreads and spreads and spreads. By trying to close down things, by the government stepping in and saying, you know, you don't do this, you don't gather here, you don't uh, uh, have, you know, these big meetings and all, that will slow it down. And so it was the best thing to do, and if they had had some of this knowledge centuries ago, the uh, death toll would have been much, much less. You know, here was a new governor who'd just been in office a few weeks, and uh, mm -hmm. and then uh, all of a sudden faced with this. Uh, that is an extraordinary thing to, to have to deal with early in a term. Oh, my goodness. That, that was one of the worst things that any uh, governor or mayor or any person in, in civil authority would have to go through because it catches you totally unawares. I mean, if you remember, this started just as a little... Uh, blurb on the news what was happening in China at the end of the, uh, December. And here we are in the middle of March, and look where we are. I mean, that's how fast that has gone. So if we did not react, if the government did not react as well as it did, we would be in a lot worse circumstance. You know, a month ago, the economy was clicking along. People were watching the 401ks. They were making their uh, plans for uh, retirements and probably mm -hmm. uh, had, uh, uh, you know, a good time frame about that in oh, some yeah. cases. Uh, this has certainly disrupted a lot of that. Uh, give us some history on that, financial disruptions that, uh, that America and Kentucky has faced over the years. Through the years, there have been several, several economic downturns caused by a number of things. I mean, not always disease, but in this case, since the world economy is so 
tightly woven with, with the American economy, and therefore Kentucky being part of America, it touches everything. And literally, one of the great fears as a historian I have is more the economics than actually the flu, because the flu will die down. That will actually die down. And, uh, but the economy right now is on the match, you might say. I have no doubt that we will recover from it, but it has given us a blow that I knew you talk about people expecting things. No one could have expected how bad that that has hurt American economy right now. Right. Another piece of perspective, our primary had been set for May 19th. It's moved to June 23rd. We'll see if we're able to hold it then, but some may not realize we used to have an August primary. Yes, we did, and actually uh, that wasn't a very bad idea, to be honest with you. Uh, but we, we started going earlier in the year, of course. But but in the old days in Kentucky, to have the, the August primary, you were getting close to harvesting time, and so a lot of the busy things on the farms were beginning to die down. Uh, harvest had set in in earnest, of course, in September. It just seemed like a very opportune time to have a primary to get people together in those days. Would it appear to you that at least for a time uh, that this will uh, change the way uh, Kentuckians uh, look at each other, the way we look at public health, uh, the way we uh, look at togetherness? Let's say it should. Uh, history is one thing. The lessons of history is something that we should adhere to very, very carefully. I mean, we've been given a very fair warning what could happen, and not to be a, a doomsayer here, but pandemics are going to happen constantly throughout, I mean, the future. It's That's just part of nature. That's one way nature controls population. And uh, so we need to be prepared, taking lessons from this. We need not to be reliant on other countries for, you know, our drugs or things that we need to, to combat these. The United States is a very powerful country and a very rich country. We could we could take lessons from this and be totally prepared for the next outbreak, whatever it may be. All right, let's hope we do. Ron Blaine, mm -hmm. Kentucky historian, we appreciate it very, very much, and, uh, and uh, good luck to you. And Thanks. we'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, and we'll look at the federal response. And welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. President Trump is calling himself a wartime president. He and his administration are combating a pandemic at this point, and our national political analyst explains. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. We are at war with an invisible enemy, the novel coronavirus. It's skyrocketing in the U.S., with officials now reporting more than 7,000 cases and more than 100 deaths. The federal government is scrambling to address medical shortages. Wednesday, President Trump invoking the Defense Production Act to boost the manufacturing of protective gear. The Defense Department also announcing plans to distribute 5 million much-needed respirators and 2,000 ventilators. Meanwhile, President Trump dispatching hospital ships to New York and the West Coast, adding 1,000 hospital beds to both hotspots. And now HHS allowing doctors to work across state lines to where they are most needed. The U.S. and Canada are also closing their border to non-essential travel. That does not include trade. But the economy is suffering. Businesses are shutting down, laying off employees. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin warning unemployment levels could surge to 20% if the government does not intervene. 
The Senate just passed the House's coronavirus economic relief bill. The White House is also pushing for a $1 trillion stimulus plan. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sunday. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. Quick reminder, the Kentucky COVID-19 hotline is 1-800-722-5725. And the website is kycovid19.ky.gov. That's Kentucky Newsmaker.